I'm Senator Malcolm Roberts, and welcome to Our Nation Today. My guest is an Aboriginal woman, Jacinta Gaia, who was born in Rockhampton and raised in Townsville in a family of seven siblings. Home life was not always nurturing, and she often moved to live in other remote communities throughout Queensland. Jacinta visited my Senate office in Parliament House, Canberra, last year, and I was impressed with her strong belief in self-responsibility and determination, not only for herself, for her people, for all people. Jacinta is a proud mother to three daughters and is deeply committed to supporting her children to be able to move successfully in both worlds and reminds them every day that they make their own futures. Jacinta's childhood was far from ideal, so she knows firsthand the attitudes and determination needed for each of us to make our own successful future. She has faced the demons of alcoholism, drug addiction, welfare dependency, homelessness, domestic violence, childhood poverty and trauma. And if that wasn't enough, suicidal tendencies and sole parenting. Still just only 33 years old and in the face of so many setbacks, Jacinta has been steadfast in her commitment to breaking the cycle of despair and dysfunction in her life. The realisation that the oppressor in her life was not the white man or the black man, which is so often the default excuse. Rather, the oppressor was herself. That realisation literally set her free from victimhood and onto a new path for herself and for her family. And she sparkles with that spirit. What I love so much about Jacinta is her use of the R word, responsibility. Jacinta recently graduated with a diploma in government and has a certificate five in performing arts and procurement and contracting. Welcome, Jacinta. Hey, how are you? I'm well, thank you. So you've got quite a story for someone so young. And by the way, congratulations on your recent diploma, so which you got in, in Canberra and you've just moved to Townsville. How long have you been there and what are you going to be doing with your diploma and where to from here? Yeah, no, thank you, Senator Malcolm. Thanks for having me and giving me this opportunity to be here today to share my story with you and, uh, you know, to all your listeners here today. Um, yeah, so I recently just moved up here to Townsville in, in the hopes that I can, um, you know, um, impact my community in, in a positive way uh, using all the skills, because I moved away from here in 2005 and um, just after I graduated um, grade 12 here at Townsville State High School, I moved on to, um, to pursue a career <clears throat> and um, in, in that journey, you know, like I ended up gaining a lot of uh, knowledge and a lot of experience in, in, in the workforce and went on to further education and completing my diploma in, in government and um, wanted to come back up here and look at work where I can utilise all of my skills and knowledge and have that transfer of um, knowledge to the younger people and help inspire them to, to be better and you know, create uh, career pathways for themselves. And, yeah, that's, that's what my hope is. That's what I dream to do, yeah, because um, my grandmother did that exactly the same stuff. Um, she never followed down the educational path, but she's always self-educated herself, and that was her, that was her um, legacy that she left here in Townsville, Thelma McAvoy, uh, everyone knew as Nancy H. up here. You know, she, um, she shook hands with, she sat at the table with politicians and sat in the parks with, you know the, the the mob here in the park, and you know help teach them all of the all the values and morals that I still carry with me today. So um, you know I just want to carry that on because I knew that how important that was to a lot of people here in this community, and and I hopes in hopes that I can do the same. Right, and what you want to do is is to be a role model. Uh, you you you're not being sort of altruistic and fixing people. That's pretty uh, arrogant that approach. What you want to do is help people. Yeah to realize that they can fix themselves and that you want to give them some choices 
rather than some solutions. You want them to work out the solutions. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. You know, like I never had nothing given to me, you know. Um, I had to work hard for everything that I have today and, and the person that I am today it never came easy, you know. I had to get up out of that gutter and, and, and want, want that change and nothing was ever given to me and I was taught that as a child, you know, you, if you want anything, you know, you got to work hard for that. You know, you're not going to get given everything in life, you know, and so I think that that was in, you know, embedded in me as a child and, you know, like even when I became a young mum, when I first become a mum with my eldest daughter who's 14 now, you know, I remember my mum saying, no, you want to go and get pregnant, you know, you got to look after your daughter. So I had to, to do that myself and teach myself along the way. I'm still, I'm 33 now and I'm still learning how to be a mum. Um, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, shamed, I'm not shamed, shamed to say that, you know, it's a learning journey and the journey never stops, I guess. And, and um, you know, I share everything with my children and, and with my girls and I speak about the good and the bad with educating them on life and the reality of life. You know, life isn't easy. It's not, you know, all fairies and unicorns and all that sort of stuff. Or not everything is given to you, you know, teaching them about responsibility. That's my biggest thing, hey, um, you know, how we are responsible by accepting the consequences for what we say and do in life and also understanding that that responsibility also means that that's our opportunity to develop our potential in life and having that accountability in our life and, you know, that people who are responsible don't make excuses for our, for our actions. We don't blame others uh, when we go wrong in our life. We just pick ourselves up. And, you see, I don't hide my past. And I think that's the biggest um, the biggest motivation for me is because I don't, I don't hide my past. I don't pretend that, it was, that everything was easy. Um, I, I acknowledge that the past is there, but it, it, does it affect my – do I let it affect my future? No, not, not from, you know – a couple of years ago, I had to break a lot of barriers, a lot of the things that over my life that I was in, a lot of the cycles um, was cigarette smoking and smoking, you know, marijuana. Back in 2010, I, I quit smoking that. Um, smoking cigarettes in 2016, I gave it up. Alcohol, you know, I gave that up. And unemployment, I remember, I just wanted to touch a little bit on my unemployment status, you know, so I wasn't always employed because people see me today and they're like, oh, look at Jacinta, she's driving around in a new 2021 car and I've got this, you know, good job and all that. And I said, oh, well, I never just was given to me. You know, I had to work for all of this that I have today and, and you know, I was unemployed for a very long time before I um, started to pick my act up, you know. Um, and, you know, and I always teach that to my children, I said, even though life kicks you down, I said, look at me, look at mum, I was nothing, I had nothing, and um, I struggled. I said, look at that, I said, you don't have to go and make them mistakes, you know, you learn from what I did as a young Indigenous woman, you're growing up both in urban and remote communities, it, it, it enabled me to see the strengths that I had within myself, you know, and I wanted to build upon that, and, and that hope that I could achieve and progress in life, not by what, what others tell me, but by myself doing it. You know, a lot of my family and that um, are activists and a lot of the... So I grew up in, around all of that too and I lost a lot of my... I lost two of my family members um, to in in jail. So when I was a young child, that a lot of... Some, some, sometimes, not all the time, but it was, it was put into me that, you know, white people hate me and all this sort of stuff. So I built that, built that resentment. So I had to overcome all of that too. So... Um, you know, and actually find it for myself instead of somebody telling me all the time, 
telling me all the all this bad stuff. You know, I had to go out and find it myself and be better than that. I was like, well, I'm not going to just sit down here and just keep on doing this. I want to break that cycle. So I teach the girls that, that they are responsible for their own happiness and their own success, you know, and I teach my children about the history, even though it's not all, it's not all, um, it's, it's not all good, it's not all bad also because, you know, um, my grandfather, he when he was taken to an Aboriginal community called Sheberg with his brothers, with his siblings down from their country, you know, you know, like Naya Bulu, that's my grandfather in my language, and um, his brother was sent to Palmarland, and my, my Bulu had to stay in Sherbrooke, and that's where he met my grandmother. So when I say that things, not all the history is bad, you know, something could come from that, because my grandparents, um, they're both wrong skin name, and they're from different tribes, and they both found love there, and they created their own family and all of that, you know, and they moved out of Sherbrooke into Brisbane where my grandfather worked all of his life. And they, he taught that to his sons and his daughters, you know, um, to go out and, and work. And, and, I, and I guess, like, that spirit, that fighting spirit and that strength and that resilience is, comes from my grandfather, I, I, I must admit that. And, that you know, he had the courage and, to build up and leave that community and say, I, I want better for my family, you know. Even though everything yeah, was taken a, from him, there's a wonderful man on the on the Cape um, lives in Hopevale near Cooktown, and uh, yeah. he was telling me that he originally came from his family came from the Western Cape York, and they were relocated forcibly relocated to the Hopevale area, uh, yeah. and then then they were forcibly really his family was forcibly relocated to uh, Sherberg, I think, and uh, he said a lot of people there died because it was so much colder than the Cape and they had a big flu that went right through them. And he, and he said that yeah. they were looking at the last men still digging graves, burying the rest of their, their families, you know. So, but, but Bruce doesn't have that hatred. He doesn't have any of that. He, he just knows that people were doing the best they could at that time. And so with that realisation, he, he realised he had choices. And so that's something you touched in one of our earlier conversations about your daughters. You, you try and reinforce in your daughters that everything is a choice. Yeah, and 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 I still do that, and I and I and even just touching a little bit. I know we'll we'll probably talk about it later on, but just even touching on this um, with this vaccination thing around twelve-year-olds up. You know, my two daughters they're thirteen and fourteen, and I said, look, I'm your mum, and you know, I I'll, I you know what my stance is on it, but I I've always said to my children, I give you the choice, and I and I get and if I'm teaching my children about this choice. You know, I give them the choice even when they play rugby league. I said, do you want to be out on that field or, you know, like, I give them, I give them that choice. I don't pressure my children into doing anything. And, and um, you know, and I teach them about, because um, it's, it's, it helped me. Like, I could, I, could, I could have stayed doing what I was doing. But then my, my grandfather fought that hard and he made that choice to be better. And I'm just sitting here doing nothing with my life, you know. So I'm making that choice and doing the same step as him. And I... I just talking about the uh, remote communities where I grew up. I grew up in, like going up to Hopevale too, because that's where my stepfather's family's from. They're from up there in Hopevale, so um, yeah. So I'm familiar with up that way. So, so yeah. you mentioned Bendigo that you you found your strength. Was there any one thing, or was it many things that came together in some sudden uh, realization, or did it just appeared gradually? What, 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 why did, when, and why did you suddenly realize that you have got strength? Um, to be to be honest, um, like I said to you um, earlier, Senator Malcolm, you know, I, I was my biggest oppress, oppressor, you know, um, 
and I did that with alcohol and drugs and it wasn't until I started to give it up that I started to see it, everything for what it was, you know. I do still, I do also have that Christian faith um, and morals that I've been brought up on because my grand, my grandparents were and um, my mum was and we had the opportunity to grow up in a, in a church um, even though I don't actively go to church now but those values, values and morals are still, you know, in my heart. And, you know, I guess, like, it's about teaching my children about the respect and love and, you know, that you treat people how you want to be treated and how to forgive. It. And that forgiveness is not for the other person. And I, and I think that's the biggest important thing for me was coming to that place of forgiveness, um, not for others, but for myself, because I lost my sister too in 2009 and my stepdad. And um, it wasn't until last year that when I started to see a counsellor about things that were going on in my life, that a lot of it, a lot of, a lot of it related back to my trauma um, from losing my sister. Mm -hmm. I'd never grieved properly because at that time when I lost my sister, the way that I dealt with grief was alcohol and um Violence, I guess, lateral violence was a big part of my growing up. We fought uh, with a lot of people in, in this town where I'm living now. So to come back into the town where uh, a lot of that old person that everyone knew, to come back as this new person is, is, is life-changing. And, and to see, you know, others that I went to school would say to me, I just said, oh, you know, I'm proud of you, you know. And it, it really inspires me to, um, to keep on going and, and I'm, that I'm not only doing it because for my children, the other people are watching me. Yeah, so... Um, so true. Yeah. Um, but you, you you know, you said you were an alcoholic at, for a while. Now, we all have feelings that are that are deep inside from early childhood, early childhood traumas. Uh, but we we have those feelings. We don't even know them, but they drive us. We, we see something, we then make a value judgment about it. That triggers anger or fear or... Or, or happiness, whatever that feeling, and that feeling then drives us. Sometimes we're not aware of that, mm. but I guess with with your period of alcoholism, you realised that that was where you ran to run away from something. So what made you come out of that? Because because then when you mastered that, then then you've got mastery over feelings as well. So you know when you're not feeling too good, or you're feeling angry or aggressive, you know then hang on, it's just a feeling; it'll pass. I can I can have a choice now. I don't have to react. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and, well, like I said, like, we had that um, Christian upbringing too, so um, that sort of woke me up a little bit, but it also comes to my children, and, and, and a lot of you'll, you'll realise that a lot come back to my children because they're the, they're the biggest, they're the ones that taught me so much about my life, you know, and I remember when I was at the back and I was drinking and, you know, smoking and, my children always said to me, oh, you know, mum, I thought you said you were going to stop smoking. And in 2016, I lost one of my uncles and he was the last elder of our family, that new culture, and um, had all of that passed down to him from my grandfather. And when we lost him, you know, my, my uncle, and I watched him pass away from, you know, cancer, it sort of hit me. And um, I was like, that was heartbreaking for me. And I don't ever want to see that. I don't, I don't want my daughters to be standing beside my bed like that. And it sort of scared mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And it sort of scared me in, in the sense where I don't want to hurt my children like that. And 
I don't want my kids to, to to pick up something like that. That's a filthy habit, and I don't want my daughters to do that because it's not for us, and it's not for anybody. And um, I don't want them to pick that up and and then start smoking, and then I turn around and say to them, "Well, what are you doing that for?" And I don't want them to say, "Well, mum, you did it, you done it," you know. And yep. that's why I don't. That's why I don't hide a lot of my past from my children. I'm very honest. I'm a very honest person. Um, sometimes I say I'm too honest, but that that forgiveness too, and teaching them about that that forgiveness, it also helped me heal. Um, you know, losing my sister in 2009, you know, where she was mur- murdered. And I, I must mention too, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, a lot of the women in my family have all died um, by murder. And um, yeah. they've all been murdered. And that's from my auntie and my cousins out in Mount Isa. Um, and so just understanding that life is very short and, you know, and um, you got to make the most of it, hey, you know, and I, and I also teach them about the importance of ed- education. Aside all of that, I teach my children about the importance of education because this is the key. And this is, that's in sharing my love for the, and passion for education. And I always teach my children, you know, if they're struggling in school, I said, you know, help, ask for help. I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a grown woman in my job. I still ask for help, you know, and, and, and showing that, Loving that um, for education, it was a big thing for myself, you know, because like I said, I graduated grade 12 and I went on to further educate myself. And, and, and that education actually helped me to heal. Um, it, it might sound funny to other people or weird, but it actually did because a lot of the things that I learned in my educational as growing up as a woman, um, it actually taught me a lot about dealing with a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, especially in the recent diploma that I just... And and it, and it also helped me to um, to work with other people, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, because you you know what what you've been through, and you you know that everyone has their own background. We don't know what it is sometimes, but we all have our, our stuff that we carry within. So uh, we don't if if we don't judge that stuff, then um, people have got an opportunity to blossom for who they really are. Yeah, and I'm still I'm still. Um, Learn, trying to starting to learn the person who I am. I'm still trying to find who I. You know what I mean? Like it's a learning journey. You know, later on down the track, you know, I might say, "Hey, actually, I actually like this." You know, um, so it's not all. You, you never know no, what's and, out there for life. No, and and because you're not judging others, you don't judge yourself, and that's why you're so free. Because I mean, you you tell everyone any you know whatever so freely, so openly. Um, you know, and that's wonderful because that's your real freedom, isn't it? Viktor Frankl, who uh, was in Nazi uh, Holocaust camp, you know, he said mm. that the Nazis can take away everything from me, everything except one thing, my attitude. They can't take that yeah. away. And and so once once we realize that other people have issues, it's not, it's not just us, then we feel stronger. And when we, when we realize that it's not just them, that we also have these things, we have more compassion, more understanding. Um, and, and we also have more gratitude, I think, for, for what's going on in the world and, and more understanding. So then, then we can be more compassionate towards them. And when we're more compassionate, whatever we give, we get. If we give a smile, we're happier. If we give love, mm. we get love. And, I, and I'm not talking about love mm. from the other person. I'm talking about giving love or happiness. Everything that is wonderful to give is free to give. And we get it back yes. as, long as, it's, as long as it's given with genuine intent. Yeah, and that's where I that's where I'm at. Like with um, you, you can give, 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 you know, but you don't have to always expect something back because later on down life, 
you know what I mean? If you if you're given to expect something back, and I guess that's just my heart. Some people sound too kind-hearted at times, but knowing your limits too, when to say no. But um, yeah, like I guess life life is all about um, just just experiencing and learning from others too. Learning because other everyone's got a story to share. You can't just go there with your story and like. I don't really agree with a lot of the people like even have the non-Indigenous politicians stand up there speaking on behalf of me as an Indigenous woman telling everyone what's best for me. They don't know my journey, you know, and a lot of the Indigenous um, politicians that you see standing up there saying that this is best for the people. No, it's not, because that's your that's your opinion. That's what you, your experts tell you. You know, they haven't walked in the shoes of a lot of our people, and I guess that's... Um, you know, you can give the give, give, and say, "Oh, well, let's put all these programs in place. Let's put all these, let's, let's put money at this and put money at that because, it, you know, then they can do this." And the, that's not what, you know, money's not the answer to everything, okay, for our people. Um, and like, I just think that a lot of times they go about things the wrong way. It's about sitting down and asking that person to have best act that you can support them like going back to the people and sitting there and having that conversation and saying, you know, like what's going on, getting to the core of everything, the root, getting to the root of what's going on, why people are hurt, why people are going through trauma. Like I didn't even know that the trauma that I was dealing with was related to grief because I've always grew, grown up in violence and had a, I've never really known my emotions, so everything was anger. So I was angry at everything all the time. You know, until I had somebody share with me and say, hey, just, you know, like, this is actually what's going on. Like, this is a counsellor. And I was, like, shocked. I couldn't believe it, you know, that this was going on. And I was like, whoa, like, I thought I dealt with that. And it wasn't dealt with because I looked for physical things, like carnal things, yeah. like alcohol and drugs and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So, so When really, uh, yeah, how, sorry. I, I know, no, you're right. I, I know that being a role model is, is important to you. That's what you'd like to do because that's what your aunties did to you, did for you. So youth crime in Townsville is, is particularly bad at the moment. It has been for quite a while. And it's largely centred on the same youth group and mainly Aboriginal, not entirely, but mainly Aboriginal. What do these children need and, and how do we help them? Can you translate some of those things that you've learned about yourself and for yourself to the kids? Yeah. So, you know, I, I believe that organisation... I'm going to speak from him when I grew up in Townsville. Like, organizations, they was put here, like, and they try to introduce all these different programs. And, you know, just in, and when they was introducing all these different programs, like me growing up, because I was in a youth shelter too when I was 15 years of age, you know, and um, when all these organizations started introducing all these different programs and saying, oh, he's doing, you know, do this and do that, it was only scraping the surface. Like, it wasn't going to the, to the, the problem. You know, because the, the root of the problem was way deeper than what we, we can see. And I remember when I was in that youth shelter, um, you know, when I was 15 years of age, I met children and different youth from different backgrounds. And I was sitting there one night and it was my first night in the shelter and I was crying. I was heartbroken and I was sitting there crying and this other girl was sitting on the other side crying. And, you know, I was a bit like, oh, you know, I don't care what she's crying about. But then I asked, what's wrong with you? You know, like I asked her, what's the matter? And, I, you know, she was crying brokenhearted because all she wanted was love and 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 
she wanted to be accepted by her mum and her dad and, and all that sort of by her parents and her family and and you know I can relate to some of it but not all of it and I'm not saying that this is happening to all the children but from my experiences I was out on the street here in Townsville I never I never stole or nothing but I was fighting a lot like I mentioned before and I was drinking alcohol at a teenage at a young age very young age and you know smoking marijuana and, and I was trying to find where I fit in here in this world in in this place here because I wasn't getting that love and support where I, where I wanted to get it, and that was in my home. And you know, I love my mum, and she did her hardest to try and raise us. But it, you know, at times when things was hard, you know, she broke a lot of the cycles too of, of quitting alcohol and things like that. You know, for her children and self-educating herself and moving on to further educate herself. You know, because I but at that time when I was in the teenage, I was lost, and the only and I mean the only time that I ever felt whole was when I was at the feet of my elders you know, them teaching me stories of my people and, you know, my bully, like my grandfather and my nan and how they come together and what to do here. And, you know, I used to always get growled at. So discipline, correcting. I always was corrected as a child. Whenever I did wrong, I was corrected. You know, my mum disciplined us kids. And um, and I think that was a big part, was the discipline, was a really, really big part. And my mum had strict rules in our home and you know and um all these don't need money thrown at them all the time these problems need to be addressed intern internally in the homes of these children in the safe space there needs to be a safe space created for them you know where the mothers and fathers if they have both parents or a blended family like i do and 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 be more insensitive in understanding the, the barriers and what is what what is the problem not just saying putting a band-aid on it like you know i hear people say like you put children into into schools and you expect them to learn at the, the curriculum level when some of them aren't even at that level. Well, how about if you come down and you change things like a little bit or, you know, help that child. You got to, you got to, you got to, sometimes life, you have to help people to understand what's going on. Like I'm learning today, like I said earlier, how to do things that I never ever was taught how to do. And I don't like speaking for what I know what's best for everybody because that's not what's best for everyone, you know. But I, what I like to speak on is what was what worked for me, speak for my experience because I have lived that life and I understand where the gap is and where the barrier we all face in this community. You know, no government can fix that, but the people themselves, for instance, with my little family, we was dealing with DV and it's pretty deep what I'm going to talk, what I'll talk about here, you know, in our home. And then it affected my daughters, my husband and myself. And I took responsibility for what I was exposing my children to and myself to. And so did my hubby. And we made contact with the social worker. This was just recently when I was in Canberra living, you know. And, um, and you know, and I, was, and I had to admit that, you know, I had to, it was confronting. So we approached the social worker and, and said, you know, we need help. You need to help us because that's their job. You know, you need to help us. We want to break the cycle of DV in our life for our children and for ourselves. And about four months ago, we completed our last session of a family therapy. And like when people talk about this, they're like, oh, you know, that's that's white man stuff. You know, this is this is coming out of the mouths of, you know, our own mob. And and I said, where, um, where we then went into doing further counselling for ourselves individually because I, we couldn't come together after that and do it together because we had a lot of internal things that we had to deal with. So I guess it's the person or the family identifying them, identifying for themselves that there is that problem within their family um, 
and and you know come to that realization and that accountability hold accountable yourself what you are exposing your children to you know what and what needs what sports or needs that you need reaching out into the community the services and that are already set up here for our people and that there's already money put into organizations to help to to work with our mob you know or anybody even non-indigenous people there's organizations set up to do this kind of work you know you don't have to keep on building more different because you need you need consistency in these children's life because they don't get the consistency in their home how they're going to get the consistency out there if you're changing everything all the time stick to one thing you know it's it, it's about being a leader too, not just a mother. You're you're also a leader. You're also a doctor. You're a teacher. You're everything, and you're the you're the author of your own story. Teaching your children this, being a role model for your children, that is very very important, and I can't stress that enough because they have someone to look up to. You're the first person that they see. You're the first. You're the person that teaches them how to talk, how to walk, how to do everything. You know, and you, you're teaching them core values of life, and even though it can't be. It, it can be a hard pill to swallow. Like, trust me, it took me a long time to be speaking about these things without tears rolling down my face or anger. And it's very confronting, you know, to know that you have to do this. But you're not doing it just for yourself. You're doing it for your next generation, your children, your children's children. You know, I don't want my children to be going through things that I went through. I want them to be able to, you know, people always say, oh, people learn from their mistakes. Why? Why do they have to learn from their mistakes? Can't they just learn from what your experiences was? And then use use both on a journey together, create a different path, a different journey, and you know you want to break that cycle and change, not just yourself, but for your children, and also because yeah, all yeah. children have the right to feel safe. You know, they, yep. they have the right to feel loved, and they have the right to have stability in their life. They have the right to have family and to learn about who they are and where they come from. Even if it's non-indigenous people, they have the right to know that too. You know, they need seeds of hope and faith and love and discipline sowed into their life you know because it, it really will people might say it's it's not and i that you're saying discipline because they look at that word as a bad word it's not a bad word it's a good word you know and i say that from a place of love because that's what discipline is is love you know even in the bible they it says god chastises those that he loves you know and correction comes to you with that and and um you know <laughs> And teaching them about the good and the bad because you can't have good if there's no bad and you can't have bad if there's no good you know and how to respect one another and other people's property so all the youth crime that's going on here with the kids breaking in it's because they've never been taught they probably haven't ever been taught but we don't know like i'm not going to judge them but i'm just speaking from because i've never been taught a lot of that stuff and i was some of the stuff i was taught on later on you know um and and saying well how, i i always say to my daughter well how do you if you want good stuff what are you going to do and you know, my daughter will turn around, my eight-year-old will tell you, you have to work for that, you know. So a daily reminder, you know, also is how much they mean to you, you know, is, is good enough for a child because you've got to realise that children don't ask for much. Only on paydays when you get paid, but they don't ask for much, you know. But they just want a home they can call home and, you know, they want a family and they want to, they want to feel love and they want to feel safe. And that's that's all that I can, yeah. Yeah, it, it it reminds me. You talked a little while ago about uh, we get money to fix things, or, or yeah, and we, that's not going to work. And I, I remember I was only seventeen or eighteen when Gough Whitlam came into power, and he was the first Labor Prime Minister for twenty three years, I think. And um, he came in, and at the end of his first twelve months as, as Prime Minister, he said, "We've spent fifty million dollars in our first year on Aboriginals, 
and the previous Liberal government only spent $25 million. Therefore, he implied that we've done twice as much good. And what I thought at the yeah. time, even though it's only 18, was you've probably done a lot of damage because you've created dependency. And what you're saying is, is what you said a little while ago, money doesn't fix things. It's that, that realisation as to what the core problem is and it's within that then gives people that responsibility and that strength and, and the, the understanding that they have choices. And, and that's what that's what drives uh, them to, to develop and to break bad habits. Well, you're not really giving them a choice if you're always giving to them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> money to fix everything. You're not really giving them a choice. You know, you're not really putting... And you know what choice does? It's freedom. And, and, and then you feel that... Oh, that growth in yourself, you know, when you have the choice, wait, wait a minute. Okay, say for instance, using the scenario in, in, a, in a workplace, if, if everyone's sitting around there and you're just sitting there, you're not saying nothing, you're in a team meeting and everyone asking you to put the input in, you're going to sit there and say nothing because you've, you've never ever been given the opportunity to speak and have your opinion heard or your values heard because you've always been told not to, not to share that because they're not valuable. Everyone else says what's best for you, you know? And in the workplace, that's, you don't want to feel like that. Everyone is in, included, you know, and um, everyone's opinion and everyone's view of life and what they want to be and what, how they want to achieve that. How they want to achieve that, it's got nothing to do with anybody else. It's how they want to do it. As long as they, you know, it might take them baby steps, might be like me. Just I always take the leap of faith. I just go out and do it and then hope that everything falls into place. Not a lot of people are like that, you know, but... um. Because I'm, I'm a cycle break. I like to break cycles. I like to be different. I don't like to be like, you know, and it's, and it's I don't like to be what the what they say. You've got to go through this process to do that process to get here, you know? Because mm -hmm. that's not giving me choice. Well, that's doing the what your way. Yeah, and you, you, you know? you've become a strong and resilient role model for your own children. So yeah. uh, all children need good role models. So that's part of the problem of youth crime and non-engagement, isn't it, that there aren't role models around, yet there are people who want to be role models but just can't connect for some reason with, you know, with the, with the, the 16-year-old or the 13-year-old who's out of control. There's a 70-year-old there's a or 80-year-old person who can really take them under their wing and share so much, but they just don't come together. So kids need role models. Yeah, and and that's a good point because, and that'll even, you know, going back to my previous answer, is that the first role model, I guess, us as us as parents is waking up and looking in the mirror and, and not condemning ourselves first from our mistakes but wanting to change them and 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 being open like I'm open with my kids and I'll say that like I know you know I probably was you know if I rouse them too too hard I say well I'm sorry but you got to understand why the reason why is because you know x y and z is because you know generic like I said to my daughter you know you could have did this and what happens if this would have happened from that you know so I show them the consequences to them. And then I say, so when we ever revisit that place again, I say, so what's, they will never ever do it again because they know the consequences. So you've got to teach this teaching. So that's being a role model, teaching your children the right way. Um, you see, in, in a lot of our indigenous communities, everyone thinks that every little boy wants to be a football star. <laughs> they don't want to be a football star. Has anyone ever asked them? Everyone thinks that because there's football star, like Latrell Mitchell and all them mob, just because they played football, that they're role models. No, they're not. To me, I, I let my children look at, they, role models could be anybody that they want. It's who they think is a role model. Could be a doctor even. Could be a, you know, could be anybody. You know, Malcolm, it could be you. <laughs> you know, a role, a role model is someone that has a, um, 
has it has been through a lot or understanding a lot and and coming up from nothing especially with these young kids that come come from the struggle of life because they haven't been given that that footstep you know to to they haven't been given that they're, they're not privileged enough people say they there's white privilege and black privilege there's sometimes black privilege too don't get me wrong because i see it a lot you know black fellas will get a job over a white fellow because it's a black identified job you know and um so there is that privilege there too but not do a lot of black fellas want to work in that industry no you can't just keep on putting money into an industry where black fellas don't want to work so you see mining industries create indigenous identified jobs but what if not all the black fellas want to work in there you know they want to work somewhere else what if they want to work in you know like me i want to work everywhere <laughs> in different industries and and it's even for it like the, the single mums you know like i was a single mum before and you know then i got married with my three girls and it, and it was hard you know i didn't receive no financial support from their dad at that time of our and our relationship was broken but i had no family support and you know i was on my own providing for my girls but i guess because it was just us at that time i had no one to speak to so i started to talk to my girls and this is where that relationship built between us and they become my role model because they were teaching me things and i was they you know it was vice versa so um they were teaching me a lot of life lessons on how to love them better, how to have patience, you know, listening to my children, you know, because say for instance, I was always a fighter. So everything I was dealt to deal with everything in violence and anger and frustration. So then that was the lifestyle that I grew up, you know, so we fought a lot and that's all I knew how to do. And then when my young, my eldest daughter who's 14 now, she was being bullied in prep. And she's been bullied in prep all the way until she's grade nine now. So she's been bullied every single year. But you know what? She forgives them. And she moves on. And she does not. And I, you know, when I first started, when she first started getting bullied, I was like, oh, why don't you just, you know, beat up the bully? Because that's what I used to do. I defend myself like that. And she's like, I don't want to do that, mum. So it taught me a lot. Then I guess like having that relationship with your child, where you can be a role model for them, and and telling them, you know, you actually changed my life here you actually like i tell my daughters you know you inspired me to not do that ever again and because it makes them feel valued and and um you know how to deal and um you can learn a lot from your children you know if you allow them the opportunity to teach you and teach us and give this gives them that respect you know to be heard also taught respect because it goes both ways and you know and having that respect returned to me and acknowledgement that i am still the mother though you're not friends. Now we're not on that level, but we have that connection. Um, teaching them of the importance of men, who your grandparents are, your elders, and actually standing there. And I educate the girls. So um, being a role model in the sense of teaching them about the hard times. And, and that's probably the biggest thing is teaching them about the hard times, but also teaching them about the future and how you can change that, how you can, um, you know, build a better future for yourself. And um, it's giving them goals and aspirations to build upon and letting and say, I'm asking, what do you want to do? You know, my oldest daughter wants to be a police officer. And a lot of my family are always like, huh, what is she going to be a police officer for? Because she wants to be, you know? And whether they support it or not, she's still going to be a police officer. And, um, you know, she's, yeah. And, and you can't, you, you, you can't force a person 
you, you can force a person to do something else if she doesn't want to be if if she wants to be a police officer you force her to do something else you can force that but there's no love there for that job there's no calling for her so um, if if yeah. if you let her start as a police uh, police officer first and away she goes and she says oh I don't like this then she really knows that she doesn't like it and she and she yeah. goes, knows more about what she really likes rather than what you like and and so then she moves into something else and and she she gets strong there so. It is really important. It comes back to that word you keep talking to your daughters about, choice. Yeah, well, um, it's even like with their father, because they, like their biological father, like we, we don't talk on terms, but I still talk to my children and say like, you know, that's your dad. Like you still got to talk positive. Stop being negative all the time. Because when you see negative, you see negative always creates fear too. And you don't want that. So if you're always talking negative about every, everybody in this person, this child's life, like their dad or whatever, or their family, or this family, or that family, you're gonna you're gonna create resentment. You're gonna create fear in that child, and you don't want that because no. I remember like um, growing up too in in the communities. Like we used to be scared. Oh, you keep playing up, but I'm gonna ring the police for you. So we'd be scared, you know. And that's where a lot of this fear comes from, and you know that uh, fear mongering and and that, and it's got to stop because. Um, you're not doing no good for your child. You're actually traumatizing them. You're actually putting bad seeds in them. And and um, like even with the girl's dad, you know, I, I make them ha let them have that choice. I said, well, yeah, that's your choice. But at the end of the day, he's still your dad, and you're gonna grow up one day, and you're both gonna look for, you're all gonna look for one another. <laughs> so you know, and I've I've got no say in that. Got, I've got no control over that situation. It's not in my control. So you know, and they they yeah. will either learn from it from themselves, you know, and make that choice. It, it, it's yeah. um, something that I learned oh, in my 20s, I think. My father drew my attention to it. Wherever there is control, always beneath control, there is fear. So when people try to control us, they're afraid. Might be afraid of us. They may be afraid of something we'll do. They might be afraid of something we won't become. Or and, and But but control actually drives fear in the person um, that's having the, that's trying to control. So it's, it's, it becomes, becomes very... Uh, debilitating for the person who's actually trying to control it. It's actually, but again, it, you, you give something bad over someone else, like trying to control someone, you end up being victim to that yourself rather than yeah. giving love or happiness or forgiveness. So I, I think I know what, what you're going to say in answer to this next question. Um, I know you're, you're passionate about your people and culture. So what does self-determination or self-responsibility look like for Aboriginal communities? Hmm. I just I feel like 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 I said and okay you introduced me Malcolm is definitely I was my own oppressor all the time I was the biggest oppressor of myself and and um, self responsibility and self determination you know is what I I believe it looks like for the indigenous community should be they should have that personal freedom you know and, and holding that pen for their life of being the author of their story and knowing that staying um, like I said many times in our in our in our conversation here now, that learning from your mistakes does not always mean that you have to be and go and make that mistake first. You know, um, and I guess just coming to the realization that you don't always need somebody, you don't always need somebody to to be the savior of your life and come and help you up out of the gutter. 
that person is you, you know, get it, get it, you know, get up, get up out of the gutters and get up out of the, you know, put that bottle down, put the cigarette down and get up and just look in your mirror and just, you know, be positive and look at yourself and say, do you really want to be like this? Because a lot of me not doing that and that self-reflection of myself and um, of my own self, that self-reflection, if I didn't have that self-reflection of myself and debriefing with my own self on my own mental health and things like that, like, you know, like you mentioned before, I struggled with suicide and suicide was a really big thing for me, um, especially when I lost my sister, you know, and like I said, we had that Christian faith in, you know, still in living in us and that, and I wanted to blame everyone, so I, I blame everybody, I blame everyone, I blame my family and that's what tore our family apart at that time, not not now, but at that time it did, you know, um, because I just hated everyone and and so I had that self-reflection and, and thought to myself, this isn't what I want to be. This is what I want for my children because that that trauma that people talk about, it, could, it when you're in that state where you're drinking all the time and you're smoking yandy all the time and, and you're smoking all the time and that that's the trauma that you're exposing your children to. Like I said, the domestic violence and that exposed my kids. You've got to break it and you got to, that's empowering to show your child that you can still that you've gone through that, but now you're going to stay in it? No, you're not. You're going to get up and you're going to keep on moving on. And that's strength. And that takes a lot of, you know, people say all the time that they're strong. Well, you can say it, but it's about doing it, you know. Actions always speak louder than words. And that's that's a big part of me, you know, and and being honest with yourself. and Stop lying to yourself and stop listening to everyone telling you that it was, that it's got to do with the white man coming over here. It's got nothing to do with them because that happened a long time ago. You know, it's not so happening just, right now. So just to yeah, summarise so. on the on the Aboriginal community, because we, we'll go on to the other topic you've just raised. Um, but so what you see is strong, resilient communities that are responsible for themselves are comprised of individuals who are strong and take responsibility for themselves. So that's that's mm. the community naturally grows out of stronger people who have got love and forgiveness and care for each other. So come back to the to the racist card you just said you know um, because there's something I wanted to talk with you about when someone invokes racism as the reason for their problems it, it may well be and let's face it there are some racists around but quite often it's not racism that does it it and and it, it that in when when the racist card is played it entrenches victimhood and that locks people into victimhood it suppresses people and then then someone comes along an activist comes along and and that and adds divisive language that then adds anger to the weakness and and so we then have people locked in their victimhood and and sometimes getting rewarded not not I'm not talking necessarily financially but also emotionally for being a victim they get attention for being a victim and then they start using divisive language and then they're locked out and they're locked into victimhood so that seems to be a pretty miserable place doesn't it yeah and and just touching on that too, like like I said, like I lost uh, two uncles in um, in, j in jail. You see, so and I and I and I do blame a lot of. Oh, no, I'm not going to blame because I'm not doing the blaming thing. Sorry, rephrase that. I do see how a lot of um, a lot of people in those place in those hierarchy places that are leading these activists and things like that is activism uh, racism and things like that I see that they use the most vulnerable time 
and there's grief. And like I said to you, what I seen when I, when I was grieving for my sister, when I lost my sister, I was angry and I blamed everyone. It was because at that time people would say, "This happened to my sister. This happened. This happened. And this happened." So like, instead of letting me grieve and heal and just you know come to terms with it and just cry for her, you know, I couldn't do it because everyone was just wanting me to be angry about what happened and how it happened and you know. That's an important point. So rather rather than let your anger, any feeling gets processed once it's acknowledged. If it's not acknowledged, it just yeah. bubbles around looking for attention. And so it sometimes expresses itself in other things. So what you're saying is um, don't shut people down. Don't say they're there, that you'll be better. Just actually connect with their feelings and release that energy. And then they can think clearly anyway. So, so But then yeah. they, they learn, they discover for themselves, they take ownership. Yeah, and and like grief is a really big thing to our our people. That's why we have in in a in the community of Sherberg right now. They've had so much loss there from suicide, you know, and it's because the people aren't um, going in there and and you know and having that conversation with these people anymore. They're not teaching them about what grief really looks like. Everything's always been looked at as anger and frustration and drinking and smoking and doing all that kind of stuff, you know. It doesn't always have to look like that. It doesn't always have to look to like everything. You know, I lost a lot. You can lose a lot of people when you stop drinking alcohol, when you stop drowning your sorrows. That's what we call it, drowning our sorrows, you know? Well, like yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that brings brings me back to mind, something you raised a little while ago. You got to got to address the root cause, and quite often that's an individual. Yeah. So well, what a lot of actors... Yeah, sorry. What, what a lot of activists do and what a lot of politicians do, they feed off this. They say, here's the cure. We'll shovel another few million dollars at you or we'll give you a house or we'll give you this or give you that. And, and, and people initially think, oh, well, that fixes my problem. But the real problem is loneliness or the real problem is anger or grief or sadness deep within. That doesn't fix that. Yeah. So, so um, politicians are notorious in this country, I think probably everywhere, at buying things, buying votes. So they give people what they say is a cure. But the only way to find out the cure is to have real care, and that means go and listen to people to find out what the core problem is. So I, I use the, just one little, one little um, letter and a word changes things. You go from care, C-A-R-E, to the core, C-O-R-E, which is the core understanding mm -hmm. of the problem. And then you can go to the cure, C-U-R-E. And, and the cure then is meaningful, and quite often because the people who, who, uh, help, who, who need the help and support, they help find the core, they own it, and so they own the cure and they apply it. Whereas if I come in and say, here's the cure, this will fix you, Jacinta, you go, what the hell is this? So care, core, yeah. cure comes in that. If you really care, you'll do the listening, you'll do the hard work, you'll get the numbers, you'll get the data, and then you'll understand the core problem. Then you put in place a good cure. That's it, and that, that's exactly right. You know, like, you can't always keep going to them with... you. This is the thing, too. You can't keep on going to somebody with what you think is a solution to the problem. You can't keep mm -hmm. on going like that. Like, I know what the solution is. I'm going to give it to you. And I know better because I'm a politician. I know. Because oh. I, have my, <laughs> I have my little party. I've got some black people in my, in my party, so I know what, what you need because well, not every black fellow is the same. They've got to understand that I'm from a different upbringing and different things. Um, different times, you know, when I lived down in Canberra, they're different black fellows to me. 
how I got bred up. You know, so what works for them, it doesn't work for me. You have to go, in, like you said, go in and talk to these people, understand who they are and what they really want, you know, what they want for their communities. You, you can hold meetings in, in Sherberg and that, like with the, with the mayor and things like that, or over Palm Island with the mayor and things like that. But are you going to go down and you're going to sit down and talk with the actual people that's sitting there in front of you? No, you're not. You're not going to have that genuine conversation. Let them be real and let them share their stories and what works best for them because you don't know. You know, you're going in there. We always say, big note in yourself. You know, stop. You don't know it all. We don't know it all. Stop yeah, well, I can't know your problems, and you, I can't know your problems till I've been with you, and you can't know mine till you've been with me. So, you know, you go yeah. to an average community. I don't want you to come the, to me. Exactly. Yeah, I don't want you to come to me with the with the solution because I want to be able to mm -hmm. to get to that solution myself. I don't. I don't want you to tell me, oh, this is how you solve the problem, because then that's leaving, there's the gap, you've left the gap where, how is that person, they're going to be so dependent on you now, oh, where's Malcolm, you know, yep. because you've helped them so much, you know, to get to, and that's what you've got to let them do that themselves. That's right, and it's so, so refreshing to hear you say that, because that's what so many politicians and bureaucrats try to do, make people dependent on them, then they'll vote for them, and it, it just it yeah. just destroys people and and so uh, you know I found in, in in Aboriginal communities anywhere it doesn't matter black white it doesn't matter all humans are the same um, and you go and you sit under a mango tree or you stand outside the community store and talk to people there you just walk up and say g'day my name's Malcolm Roberts you know what do you do here and, and you just start striking up a conversation and, and they know if you're interested or not and if you're interested they will tell you all kinds of stuff you know yeah. and that, that Whereas the bureaucrats come in and tell people what to do, but sit under the mango tree in the dirt with with someone for a while. Go for a drive around town. Go for a walk around town. Go down to the riverbank and and listen to people. Or underground the coal mine. Stop and listen to the the coal miner. Um, and and just because you pick up so many gems there, rather than just walking through telling, go through listening. Yeah, that's it. And and that's it. Just simply listening. That's that's all it is. You know, and it doesn't cost anything to do that. It doesn't cost anything. <laughs> It doesn't cost a dime to, that's just the basic human instincts to listen, care for people, help, you know, help them, but help them to an extent where they could, you could, like my dad used to always say, you can lead a horse to, to water, but you can't make him drink it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's up well, to them. Given, given all the, the, you know, the, the value you put in freedom and choice, um, people being free to make their choices, take responsibility, uh, people being free to, to make errors because that's how they learn. Um, mm. What are your thoughts on the last 18 months in this country? Because there's been so much scaremongering and a lot of coercion, removal of choice, removal of basic freedoms. Um, and, and just, for example, regarding mandatory injections of people. Uh, and, and, and you're threatened with losing your job now if you don't get an injection. So, so where do you stand on this, this coercion and, and the injections? Yeah, so um, it's a it's a been up 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 and up in the air because that's a job I've got to put food on the table and it's, and it's a bit upsetting and disheartening that now on come seventeenth of December, you know I'll lose my job and I moved up here for that reason and um, you know just want to let you know that I've been I'm an iron about it but I'm not going to get it and the you know the reason why I don't want to get it and 
is because that freedom of choice has been taken and I don't like to be bullied. And I was always told to stand up to bullies. I was always turned, you know, I don't like being intimidated to do something that I don't want to do unless I've got, unless I can choose to do it on my own free will. Because that's my God-given right is free will. God gave us free will and that's what I want to exercise, my right to practice that. And I have the right to do that, you know, and, and I just feel like um, I'm not being given that choice. It's just been yeah, that, that, me. That's so yes, wonderful sorry. to hear because you've said it better than anyone else. It's your God-given right, or if, if people don't believe, believe in God, that's your universal right. The universe, you're, part, you're of the universe. That's it's it's your freedom is yours. So, um, I mean, if if the injections were proven to be so wonderful and so beneficial and no risks, of course you'd take it because you'd freely take it. But because yeah. you're being bullied into taking it. You're actually losing your energy, losing your strength. It's actually sapping you. That that what you just said was you. They steal your God-given right because you're being bullied into it. That's a very powerful message. Yeah, and because like people always say to me, oh, "Well, Justina, you're just a you're just a conspiracy theorist, or you're just a um, anti-vaxxer." <laughs> I'm actually not an anti-vaxxer. I've actually got all my vaccines, to be honest, and my children have too. So that just debunks that I'm an anti-vaxxer because I'm not. You know, um, did you hear? Did you hear what Michael? I'm going to interrupt you there because this is so yeah. crazy. Um, Gunnar, the uh, Northern Territory Chief Minister, right? I watched him in an interview uh, saying that people who had doubled injected, double dosed, right? They're double injected. If they try to talk someone else out of uh, getting the vaccine, or even if they simply ask the person to question themselves first, just question, yeah. then they're anti-vaxxers. Yeah. Uh, how can someone who's had both shots be an anti-vaxxer? It's, it's beyond me, but that's what they're trying to do. I mean, well, Gunnar is trying to, to intimidate people into getting it. Well, see, Senator Malcolm, like people always, people even when they first brought out about the LBGDQ community, you know, and I've got family that are um, identify as lesbian or gay, and my best friend is, you know, and they 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 said that oh, that she's a bigot because she don't agree with. It's not that I love them. You know, so uh, this division has been caused from a very long time ago. The segregation has been caused. This is, and I've never seen a segregation as bad as what I'm seeing today. Like there was segregation between black and white, gender, you know, um, even th this is the worst segregation I've ever seen in my time. Like, and I'm only a young girl, so, or woman, so, should I say. Um, and, and even political stance, like, it's all of that is irrelevant. If whoever people vote for, whatever religion they are, if they're atheists or whatnot, skin color, gender. This is this is probably the worst that I've ever seen because it's coming from up there, from politicians that's um, really pushing it on us. Like, and I and I feel like I'm being backed up in a corner, and you know, I just want to say, I was considering to get it to save my job and for my children and for, but then again, I. What what am I then? I'm I'm being contradictory of myself. You know what I'm saying, and mm -hmm. of what my true values and beliefs are. And there's me and another colleague and a couple of others that are, that I know now um, that's not getting it. And me, I'm for the people. I'm for Australians. Doesn't matter black, white, or whatever. I'm for the people. And if other people aren't going to get in, they're going to lose their job. I'm not going to let them stand on their own and lose their job on their own. I'm going to stand with them and lose my job. That's that. That's how much I'm. I'm um, this is how much passion I have for other people. And that's my caring. And when I said earlier that people always say, oh, you care too much for people. I've got to cry hard. That's me. I'm not going to let those people going to stand on their own and be stood down on their own. I'm going to stand with them. 
because that's the right thing to do. That's the Australian thing to do. And, you know, everyone always talks about unity and, you know, we changed, we changed the, the national anthem to include the Indigenous people. Well, how about we change the national anthem to say that we aren't really united anymore, we're not even one anymore. Good point. Like, you know, and it's really disheartening. And I, and, I, and I have had a cry. Like, I've actually cried about all of this because today we as a nation, we should be standing together, united as one, you know, because of all the history of mankind, this is the time where, out of all the history of mankind, this is the time that we should all be standing together. And I went and marched on the weekend. I should mention that to you also. And I'm going to share from my point, to stand up there and march in Townsville, in a town where there's been a lot of the um, vigilante stuff and all this stuff going on with the Indigenous community and the non-Indigenous community. I stood up there and I recorded a little bit of it and I started crying because of the amount of people that was there. It was like over 2,000 people, you know, and to stand up there with another Indigenous brother, there was a couple of us there, only a handful of us, but it actually showed that knowing that what's going on didn't really matter at that time. We didn't care if people celebrate and, and support Black Lives Matter. We didn't care that people support Australia Day or if they didn't. We didn't care of all the different Christian denominations that was there, if people were atheists or if people was a part of the LBGT, um, LBGTQ community. We didn't care if anyone had any different stance on political stance or whatnot. We didn't even care if people were vaccinated or unvaccinated. We stood together and that was the most, and I don't march. So to get me out there and march and to see that, it actually brought tears to my eyes and I cried because mm -hmm. I was like, if I'm gonna march here, I'm not gonna go to work next week and go get the jab because all these people here are standing for one thing and I'm gonna stand with them, you know? And it was very powerful and, um, and and when I'm saying saying standing with the people, it's not just my people; it's every people. You know, it was even there was even like you know Muslim people from the Muslim belief. There was people from you know that I know that are atheists. Even my friends that I know that are atheists, you know, they're even standing in agreement with me. And and I feel that if I get this jab tomorrow or the next day or whatnot, I'm actually getting a jab, and I'm in agreement with. Um, all the deaths that's happened from this, all the people that's actually had adverse reactions to this, you know, and it takes me to a, even just talking about this now, it takes me to a story in the Bible where this rich man, he he didn't believe in God in, and there was this poor man at, he, at the gate and this, he would always eat the scraps from this rich man, you know, and this rich man died and he went to hell. And in, in this biblical story, you know, this man kept saying, or oh, crying out to the angels and to God and saying, oh, let me go back and tell my people that you're real. Let me go back and tell them that you are real and that you exist and he said, but you've had your chance. You know, you had your chance to tell, tell them when you was alive, why do you want to do it now? <laughs> you know, so the moral of the story is these people that actually have these adverse reactions, they're, I see them on the internet, on, on, on Facebook, and they're not even being heard. And we're not listening. People aren't listening. They're just listening right. to what they're being fed by the by the by the news people, by the media, and by these health experts. They're not listening to the people that's actually having these adverse reactions. We could be we could you could you can go black and blue in the face, telling them, standing up there in parliament and and, and saying all the things that you're saying to them. They're not going to listen until it's too late. But you at know, the same and, time, you you're you're not going to judge someone who has gotten in, who has taken an injection any differently no. from someone who's not taken an injection we don't hold yeah, anything like against if, anyone for either thing 
well, look at my one of a couple of my oh, my mom's got it. Like I'm not judging you guys. It's, it's your choice, and and my mom didn't get it because she she wanted to keep her job. You know, and she, and I know it would have hurt her to do that. It would have hurt my mom to do that, and and I and I text my mom and that's going to be upset. Probably make me cry now because I didn't want her to get it. Yep. Neither did any of my kids. brothers or sisters. Sorry. No, no, that's that, 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 but that's she made her exactly choice. And I'm I'm Sorry? still gonna love her. I'm yeah. still, uh, she made her choice, but I'm still gonna love her. Yep. My best friend one of my best mate best mates that I'm friends with, I was just in her wedding not long ago. She had to get it for her work, you know, but I still love her as much as I've loved her before and after, you know. She respects my decision. I respect her decision. That's how life should be. That's how everyone should be. We should live like that. And you know, the the other thing, Jacinta, that I that strikes me over the last uh, eighteen months, nineteen months, is that we haven't seen leadership. We we've seen yeah. people. You know, a leader. What a leader does is he or she goes around and listens to people. They get the data. They they mix that with the scientific data. They come out with a plan. And a vision, and then they paint that picture to the vision by talking truthful. Paint that picture of the vision to the people by talking truthfully, being frank and being open, admitting errors, admitting they don't know certain things. And people respect that. And then, by their own energy, they they draw people forward. Leadership is about leading, which is drawing. You know, so yeah. when you lead a horse, you actually stand in front of it and lead it with a lead rope. But what we've seen for the last nineteen months in this country. Is people out the back behind us bullying us, saying, unless you do this, we'll fine you. Unless you do this, we'll throw you in jail. Unless we do this, we'll revoke your rights. Then then what they do is they steal our basic human rights and then say, if you want them back again, go and get a jab. If you want them back again, get injected. If you want them back again, put your mask on. If you want them back again, yeah. make sure 90% of the people are, are injected, double. You know, so... Um, that's that's bullying. That's intimidation. That's like getting on behind a horse and flogging it with a stick. You know, eventually you kill the yeah. horse, and that's what's happening. And and what's been good for me is that Australians are generally pretty apathetic because we're an easygoing mob, and and yet now people are protesting in the streets. Many people have never protested before. Hundreds of thousands of people have never protested before are now yeah. saying, "Hang on, this is not government. This is bullying. This is intimidation. It's coercion." So people have woken yeah. up that it wasn't just the Nazis who did this. It's everyday politicians in this country who are either doing it or condoning it. Yeah, and, I, and like, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed in, in some of the t politicians that I had um, trust in to, to stand up for the people, you know, because we as, we as a people, the government's there to serve us. We're not there to serve them. You know, they're there for oh, the people. right. Yes. You know, they're there for me. To, they don't want to listen to people like me because I'm just a conspiracy theorist and an anti-vaxxer when I'm not. I'm a genuine person that actually cares about the freedoms of everybody, you know, black or white or whatever they want to be. And it's and it's very disheartening that people that I thought would have had all of Australia people's back actually aren't. They're not, they're not you know, and people always say, oh, yeah, but you're just worried about yourself. Because you're you're gonna lose your job. No, I'm actually not. That's why I'm actually standing down from my job on the seventies and come the seventies of December. Like I said it before, to stand with everybody else that's not getting it, and for everybody else that does have it, and as um, 
you know, death from it or adverse reactions from it or, you know, these, these side effects from what I'm standing with all of them because they that that's the power behind it is when people stand together in unity. And um, and I guess like uh, the, this choice is, is given to every single one of us as human beings, like the people that came out, you know, in colonized, during colonization, some of those people that came over on the boat, they never had the choice to go on the boat. They were forced on there. You know, some in, even in the indigenous communities, like our people were, were taken there and they never had the choice to. Now we have that choice in this country too. What so many people fought so hard for, why are we now taking that away? Like, it's just, it's like we're history repeating itself and everyone doesn't want to um, admit that it is there. They don't want to hold that accountability that is there. And like, it's very disheartening. Um, and when you try to speak out like this, you call a conspiracy theorist or an anti-vaxxer, and I'm not any of them. You know, you're putting a label on me that doesn't, e that I don't even, that is actually hurting. And, and I actually, this is the first time I've actually spoken out about it, you know, um, about my stance on this, because all of my other stances are post, but. Well, look, let me ask you, to, yes. let me ask you a couple of really simple quick questions and then I'll get to the last question that where I'll ask you to leave your message to others. So what colour is your blood? You've got black skin and I've got white skin. Pretty, I've got pretty miserable white pale skin. What, what colour is your blood? <laughs> I'm, my my colour, my blood is red. Yeah, same as mine. Um, and, and, and your skin's red. different, you're taller than I am. Um, but what's your spirit? Same. Same as mine. My, my spirit, <laughs> and, and, my spirit's and, actually being damn hurt. You know, people got to understand that this is a spiritual thing too. You know, like, you know, for yeah. all of us, I'm a very spiritual person, and I feel like when my spirit's being broken like this, it's leading me back. And this is why I honestly did move back to Queensland too, um, standing up is because when we was down there, and I and I had a, I, like you said, I had that calling to come back. It's because I I knew that this was going to come to this, and I would be locked off from all of my family, and um, that's suicidal tendencies started to come back and I was like, I need to go home because my spirit's like being broken here. Whether you are a spiritual person or you're not, this is where a lot of the herd is coming from in, in all of Australia and all the people, everybody, even our children, you know. Oh. When, yeah. when you say it's coming from here, you mean Canberra or? The spirit being broken. Yeah. You, oh, you mean the, the hurt is coming from spirit being broken, not not yeah. just broken in Canberra, just spirit being broken. Yeah, I get, I get you. I thought you might have yeah, been and, and being Canberra a long way from home, I knew I wouldn't have been able to return up here, see? And, oh, um, right, oh, I got you, I got you. And and speaking with all my family on, on like Palm Island and my in-laws over there, you know, we had um, a lot of deaths in our family and, you know, being, and I knew we was going to get locked down out, down there, so we, we come back up because uh, we had a lot of deaths in our family and we had to quarantine like everybody else to, to bury family members. And um, even when I was over Palm, people don't want to get the, the vax over there, you know, my elders, down in Sherberg even, you know, a lot of them, but people don't want to hear them stories. You know, they go to door to door down there, knocking on the door. Over Palm Island, they're driving around in a bus with health workers and asking people to get the jab on the side of the road. Like, isn't that even sanitary? Like, yeah. and, and administering it, that's not even ethical, you know, um, no. doing that sort of stuff on the side of the road. And um, 
in the backyards or on the verandas of people's homes. That's wrong. That's wrong. You know, I want to be able to go make sure that I'm in a hospital where there's doctors. If just I want to case. get this, just in case. And I want to sit there for a good old hour if they want to inject me with this. And I want to make sure that I'm going to live, you know, and have that doctor check on me every single time. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against health professionals or known like doctors and stuff like that because I've got three children. How do you think I had those children, Malcolm? I had to be injected <laughs> with something. I had two cesareans, you know, I had to have an epidural in my spine. So I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm not anti-vax. I'm not against any medical procedures and nothing like that. But when you're forcing me and bullying me into it, you know, but I knew the, I knew the consequences of getting, getting pregnant. The baby has to come out somehow, you know, but this, <laughs> You know, I'm not too sure what the consequences that's going to come from this. No. You know, my family has a – when you go and you hand your medical um, history to the doctors, you tell them what's the um, health things in your history, yeah? Mm-hmm. Ours is heart disease, blood disease, um, di- diabetes. We've got so much in my, fa- in my family, asthma. You know, these are all in my genes because that's part, you know. So – you got to be very careful. And in, oh, it's not that I don't. Yeah, so that's you, you where I stand to, you, on this. You've got to think about it, haven't you? You don't just swallow it. You yeah. don't just accept it. You don't just get fed crap, but you've got to think about it. And, and, and the third thing where you and I are identical is that we have the same universal human needs, the need to be loved, the need to be heard, the need to be treated with compassion, need to be accepted, yeah. the need to belong. These basic human needs, they're, you know, they're strong in, in every single human. You know, some people might have a lesser need for belonging than others, or some might have a greater need for acceptance than others, but they're, they're there in everyone. They need to be heard. They need, need to belong. These, these things are just universal. So everyone, regardless of skin color and background, has these needs. Yeah. When they, when they try to say that this is, um, you know, right, right people and versus left people, it's got nothing to do with that. No. It's, it's got absolutely nothing to do with that at all. That's just that's just propaganda. That's just, they just want to be heard. They, you know, they like the sound of their own voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, my final question. We've been going an hour now, and it's been a wonderful oh, yeah. conversation. But what what's your message to young Aboriginal people today? What 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 do you want to leave with them? What's your message to everyone? Yeah, for for the young people today would be, you know, um, to have have this have a have a conversation. You know, if you don't have a mum or dad, you know, find somebody that is that adult model in your home in in your life. No matter who they are, it's about speaking speaking your truth and having your your story heard. You know, creating goals, creating aspirations. You know, uh, going back to this, the the question that gets asked you as a child in primary school when I was there was, what do you want to do when you get older? You know, I don't mm-hmm. know if you should have never been asked that question. You know, I wanted to be a teacher, but I don't want to do that now. But, <laughs> um, you know, look into that. There's always, you know, you may not have a lot now in your life, but it doesn't mean you're, it ends there. When things go, when things go too tough, in your life and you can't handle it it's only temporary it's not it's not forever it's not a lasting thing it's only temporary you need to speak up 
don't be shame. You know, don't think that people are going to judge you. You need to go to the right people. And this is why a lot of people don't speak up is because they're f- afraid of being judged. And I always used to be like that. So I, I was a very quiet person and very personal with my life. A lot of the things that I've shared today, I've never, ever shared them before. There's a lot well, thank of stuff that I haven't. Yeah, you're all right. There's a lot of other stuff that I haven't shared um, just out of respect, you know, for, for myself. Um, but I will share, you know, and don't be ashamed of them things because these things, these like um, Senator said, Senator Malcolm said, you know, these errors, they, they, you know, that that mess, it, it becomes a message later on in life. You know, people can find healing in your wounds. You know, and I look at me like I'm only 33 years of age, and I remember, like, growing up. I never had a lot because we had seven children, you know, and we used to fight over the last bit of cereal or the last bit of milk, you know, and it, it's life doesn't just end there. You could sit there every single day of your life. And I used to, I remember I had a notepad. I used to write down every single day. I used to write down, I write a diary and I used to write to this diary and I just have all these aspirations and goals that I wanted to achieve in my life. Um, you know, and I never ever thought that I would be married and I'm married because when I, even to you mums, out there, all you single mums, you know, it's not, the end's not there. You know, um, even your single dads, even your dad, fathers out there, you know, there's still hope in this world, but it's about using the resources. And if you ever need help with anything, you know, reach out to, reach out to me, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm Have a good a conversation. listener. Have that conversation. That's all it is, is just talk, talk to anybody, you know, those, those um, support workers that are in these organizations like medical centers and all them, they're there for a reason. Speak up in those community centers, you know, speak up to them, go in and ask them for their help because that's their job is to help you. And they're in a the position because they're, they, that's what they want to do and educate them. Like, and, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to speak up and don't be afraid to admit that there's mess in your life because I wasn't. And if it wasn't for, um, it wasn't for me to reach out to support workers knowing that, you know, people used to try and scare me or, you know, child safety and all this sort of stuff. I actually went to child safety and I actually spoke to them and educated them on how to best deal with me as a person. Because every, and I said to them, every case to case, on every case to case basis, it's all different. You can't use structured, what you get taught, trained to do. You can't use that with every family. Every family is different. Every person is different. And, and I guess that's the other thing that a lot of parents are afraid of. Um, but don't be, you know, that's your babies, that's your children. You love them, teach them, be the be the role model that, you know, even if it's to be better than you, than what you achieved in life. And that's what I said to my girls. I want you to be better than what I was. Don't do the things I did, you know. And, and for a 14-year and 13-year-old girl, I wish I was them. And I always said that to, you, to, the, to my daughter. I said, I wish I was you at your age because I was very silly and very naive and very, you know, did the naughty things at your age and I should wish if I could return you know turn back the hand of time I wish I was more like you and we should be more like children more humble and more honest and and we could actually learn a lot from our children you know parents community workers all the people that work communities actually listen to our children let them speak to you and tell you what's right for them how they're feeling what's going on and it doesn't mean get up straight away and go and dob straight into child safety it's, it's, you, gotta, you gotta actually go because that's where the fear comes from. That's where the trust is broken. And that's where you go back into that cycle of mistrust. And, you know, you've got to be patient and um, sensitive. 
around a lot of the things that you deal with and talk um, with these children around because there's a lot of trauma in there, um, especially with our young children that's, you know, taking their lives at the age of 10. You know, children shouldn't even know about that. Like the young girl that we lost up um, over in WA, you know, who took her own life because of things that was going on with, this, with her um, inside her home, you know. You know, it's disheartening to hear that. It actually mm. broke me because I'm a mum. And I actually said to my children, uh, and, you know, I don't ever want to, if you ever want to talk to me, this is what I said to them. If anything ever happens, I said, you just come and talk to mum. Talk to me, you know. There's no, there's no other time, you know, just come and talk. You know, don't think that I'm never ever there to listen and talk. You know, you've got to have that, um, that conversation with your children, with your babies. Don't let these other people educate your kids. Don't let these people out on the street marching and everything. Don't let them educate your children. You educate your children. You teach them. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to these people because they all, they all get paid. And I know because I, I see them firsthand. So that's speaking first. They get paid to do what they're doing. They think they, they, they know that what they're doing is right, but it's not. It's actually doing more damage to our young people than it is doing good. And, you know, not all our young people want to learn culture. Yeah, they culture is not always about physical thing it's about um spiritual spiritual healing too and everyone's got that spiritual healing even senator malcolm does you know and it's <laughs> about right. um we all need that healing in our spirit and that's what these young people have and start to um build a strong network around your children not a positive network some people that don't drink and do alcohol and all this sort of stuff a safe home for your kids you know, they, that's where their that's where their home is. Your children wouldn't be out on the street running around if there was an if, if they had a home where they could, you know. I'm not saying that's all the homes, because sometimes it's not. But if you need, ever need a hand, you give a shout, give a shout out. You know, don't ever be ashamed, because it's, it's it's no good to be sitting there and suffering in silence. You know, and everyone else speaking for you and saying what's best for you, your children, They're your babies. You brought them into this world. You know, and only a mother knows. Or an, and a father knows. So, um, yeah, I just want to leave that with you and, and for all the young people, you know. There's a lot of opportunities out here. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities out here for the young people today too, you know, in school, in, um, in, the, work, in the workplace, in the workforce. I don't know how much longer it's going to be there, like all that, um, you know, uh, Indigenous identified jobs and things like that. Like there's so much for you young people out there. Grab a hold of it, you know, like, I don't know how long it's going to be there. And I hope it's not there for long because we need to learn how to do this on our own too. Um, but, yeah, I really do um, hope that, you know, I empowered and encouraged somebody to to reach above and beyond today. You know, and, well, that's, um, why, that's, why, that's why we were attracted to you, Jacinta. Um, and, and wrapping up now, I just want to say uh, to everyone, we were attracted and we still are attracted to Jacinta with her tweets. And that one of our staff started tracking. We were impressed because this woman takes responsibility. Jacinta shows genuine warmth with one of the most beautiful smiles, sparkling eyes and glowing face. Yet it's her mind that is so strong and beautiful, so focused, and her heart. Responsibility, diligence, persistence, these reveal her real strength. A role model for Aboriginals, a role model for all people the importance she has placed in choice and places in choice. And what she said today, don't let your past continue into the present, into the future. It's your choice. Uh, understand that we 
are each on a journey. Our journey, though, is unique, and yet it's universal. We might have different issues along the way of our journey, different lessons to learn, but we're all going to end up in the same place, learning more about life. We are each and all of us responsible for our happiness. And the things that come to mind when I think of Jacintha is power, strength, spirit, sense, practical common sense, passion. And as she said, have a conversation. And if the first person doesn't want to talk, try it with the second person, by the third person. Eventually people want to talk because we all care. Thanks for joining me, Senator Malcolm Roberts, on Our Nation Today.